Lesson number 74, Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number 67 to 82. Ya O Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, balligh, convey. What? Ma unzila ilayka min rabbik. That which has been revealed to you from your Lord. Meaning everything that has been given to you from Allah, what should you do? Convey it. Pass it on. Let the people know. The word balligh, from ballagha yuballighu, tablighu, ba lam ghain. Balagh is also from the same root. Balagh is to convey. And tablighu is to convey gradually. How? Gradually. One thing after the other. In a way that the message is delivered to the heart of the recipient. Meaning he understands it clearly, he knows it, there is nothing that he is in doubt about. He has received it completely and fully. Just like the word ta'lim. Does it sound like tabliq? Yeah. What is ta'lim? To teach gradually. To give ilm one part after the other. So that the person who is learning, he can learn properly. Because if a person is taught, for example, a course in one day, then what happens? He's not able to understand Completely. And he's not able to retain what he has learned either. It comes quickly and it goes quickly. But ta'aleem is to teach gradually, step by step, so the person who's learning can learn properly. Likewise, tabligh is to convey gradually, one thing after the other, so that the person who's receiving can receive properly. So that he does not miss out on anything. He's not unsure about anything, unclear about anything. So the messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is being commanded over here that you should balligh, convey gradually. How? That as you receive gradually, convey gradually. Over a period of 23 years, the Qur'an was given to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And as he received the Qur'an, he was commanded to convey but what was he commanded to convey? مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ Everything that has been revealed to you from your Lord. And what is it that he was given? What all was he given? Yes, he was given the Qur'an. But was that everything that he was given? Everything that he was taught? No. There were many things that he was taught which are not mentioned in the Qur'an. For example, salah. We learn about the command to pray which is mentioned in the Qur'an over and over. But how to pray? Is that mentioned in the Qur'an? No. Are the details given? No. You will find the details of hajj. You will find the details of fasting even. And you will find the details of zakat even. But when it comes to salah, you only learn about the timings of salah from the Qur'an. The method of prayer, that Allahu Akbar, then praise Allah, then recite Surah Al-Fatiha, then recite part of the Qur'an, then go down into Rukur. You don't find such details in the Qur'an. Yes, you will find the mention of Rukur, Sajda, Qiyam, but not the step-by-step guide. Where is that found? In the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Did he make it up himself? No. He was taught how to pray. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him. So remember, the Messenger ﷺ was given two things. First of all, wahi, that is matlu. What does matlu mean? That which is done tilawa of, meaning that which is recited. So he was given revelation that we recite. And what is that? What is it that we recite? Which revelation do we recite? 
the Qur'an. So he was given first of all, the Qur'an. Secondly, he was given wahi, that is غير matlu, Wahi that is not recited. And where is that? Where do we find that? In the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. We find that in the hadith. So he was told to convey everything. Everything. To who? To all men, to all people, and jinn. Because he was a messenger sent to everybody. And convey what? The entire Qur'an and everything that was given to him besides that. How? In wording and in meaning. He was commanded to convey the words, the exact words that Allah revealed. And not just the words, but also their meaning, their application. How to understand them, what they imply, how they should be practiced. So he conveyed all of this. Why? Why was he commanded to convey everything? Because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Adam salam to the dunya, to this world, what did he say? وَإِمَّا يَأْتِيَنَّكُمْ مِنِّي هُدًا فَمَنْ تَبِعَ هُدَايَ فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ That when guidance comes to you from me. So Allah promised to send guidance to mankind. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fulfilled His responsibility by sending the Qur'an, by sending the revelation. To who? To the Messenger. Allah fulfilled His promise. Now, it was the messenger's responsibility to convey that guidance, to convey that message to who? To the people. And what is the responsibility of the people? That they accept it, they believe in it, they act upon it. And then what's the responsibility of the Muslim ummah? That they are proud of the Qur'an, of their sharia, and they keep it in nice books on the shelves. Yeah, that's our responsibility. Or that if there are some people who are talking bad about the Qur'an, then we go on a strike or we protest and we destroy our buildings and we kill our brothers and sisters. That's our responsibility? What's our responsibility? When the messenger conveyed the Qur'an, the responsibility of the ummah is to take it, live by it, and pass it on to others. This is our responsibility. So Allah fulfilled His responsibility. The Messenger ﷺ is commanded over here, you fulfill your responsibility. Now the question is, did He fulfill His responsibility? Of course He did. He definitely fulfilled His responsibility. Because if He hadn't conveyed everything, we would not have read the verse in Surah Al-Ma'idah, اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم وأتممت عليكم نعمتي That today I have completed the deen for you, perfected my blessing upon you. This verse would not have been revealed. The fact that the blessing of the deen was completed, perfected, is an evidence that the Messenger ﷺ conveyed. Which is why we learn that at Hajjat al-Wada' at the farewell pilgrimage, when there were thousands and thousands of people before the Prophet ﷺ, and he spoke to them, he asked the people that when Allah will ask you, about me, about my responsibility, whether I conveyed or not, then what will you say? And the people replied that we bear witness that you have conveyed the message, you have fulfilled the trust and offered sincere advice. So the Prophet ﷺ, he raised his finger up to the sky and what did he say? Allahumma hal ballaht, Allahumma hal ballaht. In other narrations we find he said, Allahumma fashhad, that O oh Allah, bear witness that I did convey the message.
سو یا رسول بل میں کنوے ایوری تھنگ دیٹ ہیز بین ریویل ٹو یو فرام یور لارڈ ڈو ناٹ ہائڈ اینی تھنگ فرام اٹ ڈو ناٹ کیپ اینی تھنگ فرام اٹ یو ہیو ٹو کنوے ایوری تھنگ و علم تفعل اینڈ اف یو ڈو ناٹ ڈو سو دیٹ اف یو ہائڈ ایون اے پارٹ آف دا قرآن ایون ون رولنگ آف دا دین you don't pass it on fama ballaghta risalata then you have not conveyed his message ma ballaghta you have not conveyed risalata risala is what message meaning the message that allah has given you you have not conveyed it even if one detail is left out yes because even if one detail is left out then the people will have incomplete understanding of the deen they will have incorrect understanding of the deen So he had to convey everything. Now apparently, this seems like a very simple thing that okay, he was given the Quran, the Sunnah, everything and he was told to convey. So yeah, of course he should convey. But is it really that simple? It wasn't that simple. It was actually very, very difficult. Think about it. Do we have the courage? Do we have the confidence today to say to people who believe very firmly For example, in Isa a.s., do we have the courage to say to them that Isa a.s. is not God? He's not son of God? We don't even touch these topics. We don't even talk about them. We know people who have different beliefs, who are practicing different ways, and we know that it clearly contradicts the Qur'an. We know that these are the ways that will lead people to hellfire, but yet we don't talk about them. We don't even bring them up in our conversations. And this is despite the fact that people are very respectful of differences. They will accept you the way you are. And even if they disagree with you, okay, they'll mock at you. Maybe they'll make fun of you. But nobody's going to come and physically attack you. Nobody's going to do that. And if somebody tries to do that, you can just call 911. You can just run and seek help from somewhere. But despite that, we don't speak up. For the Prophet ﷺ to convey the message of Tawheed was the most daunting task. It was the most difficult thing to do. It was the most challenging thing to do. It was like making everybody your enemy. Because everybody practiced what? Shirk. They were believers in idols. It was a society that was built on shirk. They were not a secular society. They were not a secular nation. They were very, very religious people. Very devoted to their deen, to their idols. And for him to speak out against their idols, for him to say that these are not gods, for him to say that this is not acceptable, was a big deal. This is why we see that when he started the da'wah, when he started calling people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what happened? Everybody accepted? Everybody was very happy? Everybody said, yes, you're right, we believe in you, we'll follow you? No, no. The same people who respected him, who called him Sadiq and Ameen, now called him Sha'ir, Majnoon. They called him crazy. They called him a madman. They called him a poet. They called him a kathib, a liar. The same people who called him truthful, trustworthy yesterday, became his enemies. The same relatives who got their children married to the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ, Hmm? Abu Lahab, what did he do? He would go around following the Prophet ﷺ at Hajj. When he would be calling people to Allah, he would follow him around. And he would humiliate him in public, say wrong things about him. And basically he would be defaming him. 
So this was something very, very difficult. And this is the reason why he had to do hijrah. He had to go to Medina. His life was in danger. And when he got to Medina, did things get better? No, there was still so much opposition. So much opposition. So don't think that this was a very simple task. It was very difficult. And for him to be told that, وَإِن لَمْ تَفْعَلْ فَمَا بَلَّغْتَ رِسَالَتَكَ If you do not do so, you are not conveying the message. This was something very serious. So imagine the burden on him. The burden of this huge responsibility. But he did not give up. Despite the challenge, despite the difficulty, he didn't give up. What happens to us when we see that something is getting too difficult? We say, I can't do it. I quit. This is too hard. And we cry and we feel pity for ourselves and we just walk away. We leave. We stop doing what we're doing because we say it is too difficult. When we find things too difficult, just remember the Messenger wasallam, the difficulties that he endured. But did he give up? He didn't give up. And the stress was so much because on the one hand, the people weren't accepting. And on the other hand, the verses were so severe. The command was so clear. You have to convey. You know, we learned that once Abu Bakr عنه, he saw the Prophet ﷺ and he noticed a lot of white in his hair, that his hair had turned white. He noticed it one day. And he said, I see a lot of white in your hair. And the Prophet ﷺ said, شَيَّبَتْنِ هُودْ وَأَخَوَاتُهَا That Surah Hud and its sister surahs have made me old, have made me white in my hair. Because they are so strong in their message. So strong in their message. And then, the Prophet ﷺ had to take this message and pass it on to the people who weren't willing to accept. So this was very difficult. But it's amazing how he bore the difficulties and he conveyed the message. So much so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي So there's a big lesson over here, a big lesson for us, that what you believe is right, is true. What you know has to be done. Then don't fear people. Don't fear any difficulties, any challenges. There will be challenges on the way, but ask Allah to help you overcome them. You know, for some people, learning the lesson is like climbing a mountain. Opening that juz is like opening something that's a hundred pounds maybe. It's like lifting something that's hundred pounds in weight up the stairs. Literally, it's the most difficult thing to do. Do you agree with me or not? Do you agree with me or not? Yes, it is. Sometimes sitting down with the Qur'an, opening it up and reciting it is so difficult. Not because people are going to make fun of you. No, they'll be happy if you do it. What's the challenge from inside? What's the challenge, the struggle that we endure in reading, in memorizing? But just because it is very difficult doesn't mean that you cannot do it. No. Tell yourself, I can and I will. I can and I will. Nothing in this life is easy. Nothing that is worth something comes easy. Whatever is valuable is difficult. It is very difficult. And you have to strive. You have to overcome the challenges on the way. And if you don't, it's your own loss. It's your own loss. وَإِلَّمْ تَفْعَلْ فَمَا بَلَّقْتَ رِسَالَةً Then you're not conveying the message of Allah. You're not fulfilling your commitments. 
You're not fulfilling your responsibility. And at the end, you are going to suffer. Not anybody else. You are going to suffer. So no matter how difficult something seems, just because of the difficulty, don't tell yourself, I'm not going to do it. Make yourself do it. Tell yourself, I can and I will. I can and I will. And ask Allah for help to do it. وَاللَّهُ يَعْصِمُكَ مِنَ النَّاسِ Allah says that Allah will save you from the people. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الْكَافِرِينَ Indeed, Allah does not guide the disbelieving people. Because when the Prophet ﷺ, he started conveying, as we discussed, his friends became his enemies. The people who respected him were ready to kill him. So there was this constant fear that he had. So much so that we learned when he was in Medina after the hijrah. And remember how he did hijrah? There were people surrounding his house waiting for him to come out so that they could kill him. And when he was on his way to Medina, people were out looking for him to find him to kill him. Right? And when he was finally in Medina, the mushrikeen came with a thousand men to fight the Muslims to kill the Prophet ﷺ. They came again at Uhud. So they came again and again in order to kill the Prophet ﷺ. In Medina, there were the Yahud who were after his life. So constantly his life was in danger. His life was in danger. So Allah told him that Allah will save you. Don't worry about the people. Don't fear them. They cannot harm you. Allah has given you this responsibility and Allah will protect you. So in the third year of Hijrah, Aisha radiallahu anha, she said that one night the Prophet ﷺ was not able to sleep. It's like, you know when a person is nervous, they're anxious, then what happens? They're constantly tossing and turning and every sound, they get startled by it. So he wasn't able to sleep. So she asked him, what is the matter, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, would that a pious person from my companions guard me tonight? If only one person could come and guard me so that I could sleep. So she said, suddenly we heard the clatter of arms. And the Prophet ﷺ said, who is that? And then the man who was coming, he replied, I am Sa'ad bin Malik. Who was later called Sa'ad bin Waqqas. He said, I am Sa'ad bin Malik. The Prophet ﷺ asked, what brought you here? He said, I have come to guard you, O Allah's Messenger. And Aisha ﷺ, she said, then the Prophet ﷺ slept a deep sleep so that I could hear him snoring. That finally he was able to sleep Comfortably. Because until then he was not able to sleep comfortably. Think about it. If because of the work that we're doing, our sleep is disturbed, what do we say? Can't deal with this anymore. I've had it. It's enough. Too much. You know what? The work, the classes that we're doing, the work that I'm doing, it should only be at the center, at the institute. It should only be 9 to 5. If it's beyond that, it's interfering in my personal life. And it's too much to handle. I can't do it. Too stressful. Did the Prophet ﷺ have that attitude? Did he have that attitude? No, he didn't. If he had that attitude, would we have the Qur'an? Would we have the deen? No. So the thing is that when a person takes the deen seriously, then Allah will send difficulties in his way. Difficulties will come in his personal life. In many different forms, in many different ways. Why? Because Allah is testing the person. Does he give up or does he stay firm? Does it too difficult? Can't deal with it? Or does he say, no, I can, I will. And I will do it. So it's just a test. Allah assures the servant that he will protect you. Wallahu ya'asimuka minan nas. And it, it is said that when this ayah was revealed, that Allah will protect you from the people, then what happened? That the Prophet ﷺ said, O oh people, 
go away, meaning you don't need to guard me anymore because Allah will protect me. So he stopped taking the protection of people even after this verse. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الْكَافِرِينَ Indeed, Allah does not guide the disbelieving people. Meaning those who reject, they do not benefit from the guidance that Allah has sent. Why? Because they don't accept. If they don't accept, then how can they benefit? So in summary, what do we learn from this ayah? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He fulfilled His responsibility. He sent the message. He sent the revelation. Guidance for the people. The messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was commanded to fulfill his responsibility. Did he fulfill it? Yes, he did. And Allah saved him from all the dangers in this path. And thus, the blessing of the deen was perfected, it was completed, but those who reject, they do not benefit from it. Recitation. Ya ayyuhal rasul ballig ma unzila ilayka min rabbik wa in lam taf'al fama ballagta risalatahu wallahu ya'simuka minan nas inna allaha la yahdi alqawmal kafirin So how can we relate this ayah with ourselves? Sometimes we do things and the reason that we get frustrated or fall short or whatever it is, is because that we're doing it expecting results. But the results are always in the, in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's very important to start and begin for the sake of Allah and to keep going no matter what. Yes. Because it's to your effort that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Exactly. Did the Prophet sallallahu see the results immediately? No. In Makkah, the situation only got worse. I mean, you would think that as more people believe, the situation should improve. But it got only worse. So much so that he had to send a group of Muslims to Abyssinia for the safety of their lives. And eventually, he had to leave himself as well because he could not stay there anymore. The situation got only worse. In Medina, did things get better? No. They only got worse. And then eventually... He saw the results. Eventually, he saw his success. So yes, it will happen that for the first 10, 15, maybe 20 Jews, you'll struggle with your word to word. A lot. But then eventually, you will see the results. And one thing we have to remember, the Prophet ﷺ is told, if you don't convey, وَإِلَّمْ تَفْعَلْ If you don't convey everything that you have not conveyed, the message. So when you are being lazy in learning your lesson, And you say, let me skip half of this. Let me just do two verses. Let me leave these five verses. Let me not do it today. And tell yourself, if I don't learn this lesson, then I have not completed my Qur'an. Right? Think about it. If you have missed even one ayah of the Qur'an, you have not learned its meaning, then can you say that I have studied the Qur'an with its meaning? Can you say that? I have learned the Qur'an with its meaning? Can you say that? No, you can't. Even if you have missed one lesson, one ayah, you do not have the right to say, I have studied the Qur'an with its meaning. You don't have the right to say that. So every time shaitan whispers to you and tells you, it's okay, leave it. Khair. Doesn't matter. No big deal. What if it doesn't come on the test? And even if it does, it'll come with other verses. And alhamdulillah, I know many words, so I'll survive, I'll pass, I'll guess. No. Don't let yourself do that. 
Assalamu alaikum. I was thinking about uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said how it's difficult for him. And I was relating to myself the, the day I wear niqab, I went outside. I was, nobody's looking at me probably, but I was thinking everybody's looking at me. It's so difficult. It was so difficult to put it in the first time. And that's like personal stuff. That's my right to wear niqab at two if I want to wear a niqab. Like nobody can tell me don't wear it. But I scared, and it was so difficult in me. And I was thinking, I was reflecting about Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, how he did it. Subhanallah. Only a person who has deep conviction that what I am doing is right, it is true. Only they can do it. When you have this belief that what I am doing is very important, it is necessary for me. Only then you can do it. What is it that makes some people? take their lesson so seriously, who believe that for them to know every ayah is important. And if a person is weak in this belief, then what will happen? They will not bother to pay attention to every single ayah. Then Allah says, قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ Say, O people of the book. Who are the people of the book? The Jews and the Christians. They are being addressed now. And they're being told that لَسْتُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ You are not on anything. What does it mean? You are not on anything. Meaning, you have no basis. You have no deen. You believe yourselves to be a religious folk, a religious people, but you have no deen. You have no right to be called a religious people until when? حَتَّى تُقِيمُوا التَّوْرَاةَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ Until... You uphold the Torah and the Injil. What does it mean by tuqimu? That you establish it. You live by it. You implement it in your lives. وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ And until you establish in your lives that which has been revealed to you from your Lord. And what is that? What else has been revealed by Allah besides the Torah and the Injil? The Qur'an. So, In other words, the religion of the people of the book is being rejected. That it's not acceptable to Allah. It has no value. It doesn't carry any weight. It is not acceptable until you establish the law of the Torah, of the Injil, of the Qur'an in your lives. Now doesn't mean that they're being asked to practice the Torah and the Injil today. No, what is meant is that the main messages in it, the main teachings in it, and which ones are they? Of Tawheed of belief in all of the messengers, of preparing for the day of judgment, avoiding shirk, you have to uphold them, you have to live by them. And if you contradict them, that the basic message of Tawheed, you contradict that by your belief of Trinity, by your making dua to Isa a.s. The main message of preparing for the Akhirah, you don't practice that by saying that, you know what, doesn't matter, we can do whatever we want to, we'll end up in Jannah anyway. And we'll never go to hellfire, so you commit whatever crimes you want, whatever sins you want. So you have to practice the message of the Torah and the Injil, and especially the Qur'an. And until you hold on to the book, until you implement it, you cannot be religious enough. Salvation is not possible. You cannot be saved from the fire. You cannot be successful in dunya and akhirah. So what does this show? That without the book... Of Allah, without ilm, a person cannot obtain guidance. And when he cannot obtain guidance, then he cannot be saved. He cannot be successful in this dunya and the akhirah. Therefore, no matter 
who a person is, no matter what their background is, whether they are knowledgeable or not, whether they are wealthy or what, whoever they are, whatever their background is, what do we learn? That every person needs to know the book of Allah. Because until they know the book of Allah, they cannot establish it. They cannot live it. They cannot act according to it. They cannot implement it. And if they don't do so, they're not rightly guided. If they're not rightly guided, then salvation is not guaranteed. Because we see that many people, they follow the deen, they believe themselves to be practicing. Why? Because they perform certain rituals. They do certain things. Which things? Like for example, fasting, hajj, umrah, all of these, definitely they are part of the deen. Definitely they are highly rewardable deeds. But is this all that the deen is about? No. Yes, this is important. But there is also the Qur'an that Allah has sent. Until you connect yourself with the Qur'an, how can you know Allah? How can you find tranquility in ibadah? How can you find peace in your lives? You cannot do that. You cannot have that. So the connection with the Qur'an, with the book of Allah is extremely important. So what do we see here? That deen is with the book. Without the book of Allah, a person cannot be religious enough. So if we want to strengthen our deen, if we want to strengthen our iman, then we have to cling to this book. And surely it will definitely increase many of them. What will increase? مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ That which has been revealed to you from your Lord. And what is it that has been revealed? The Qur'an. So the Qur'an will definitely increase some of the people of the book in what? In tughyanan wa kufran. In rebellion and disbelief, transgression and kufr. That instead of becoming better people, instead of increasing in their guidance, instead of improving, you will see them becoming worse. That as they learn, as they become more aware of the Qur'an, they become worse and worse in their actions. They become more rebellious. Why? Is it that the Qur'an is teaching them this? Is it that the Qur'an is telling them to do kufr? Is it that the Qur'an is telling them to transgress against Allah and His people? No. The Qur'an teaches the exact opposite. So why is it that the Qur'an increases some people in rebellion, in transgression, in sin, in kufr. Why? Because that's what the people are inclined to. That's what those people are inclined to. That's what they're looking for. That's where their heart is. That's what they're seeking. And whatever you're seeking, that's what you find. Which is why we see that there are people who read the Qur'an, who probably know the Qur'an better than you and I. Which is why they'll quote verses from here and there. But are they more submissive to Allah? No. The same verses of the Qur'an they will use to prove their wrong, to prove their evil, to prove their kufr. And we see that there are people who are not Muslim. Like recently only I read an email of this one sister who had written to a Christian priest or whoever, I don't know what who exactly he was. But basically, he had made a video and he had conducted several sessions in his local area about why the Qur'an is not true. 
and why Allah is not God, and why Muhammad is not the messenger. And he had used evidences from the Qur'an. He had used evidences from the sunnah. But how? Completely out of context. Completely wrong interpretation. So the same Qur'an, it's increasing them in their tughyan and kufur. Why? Because that's what they want. They don't want guidance. That's not why they're learning the Qur'an. If a person reads the Qur'an to seek guidance, then he will definitely find it. And if he's reading the Qur'an to find error, that's what he will find. It's my personal experience. One of my neighbors, they were having like two dogs in the house. Um, I was not going to the house because um, I decided when I'm not going to offer salah, then I'm going to go into the house, you know. So um, her husband is Hafiz al-Quran. And I asked one day, why you're having the dogs inside the house? Why you're allowing them? She said, look, in Surah Kahf, the dog was sleeping with these guys. So it means it is already mentioned in the Quran that like um, a dog can go inside the house. This is the way how they interpreted the Quran, you know. So they will use the Quran to prove their actions, to justify their deeds. Remember, every time that and evidence is taken from the Qur'an and Sunnah, you have to look at two things. First of all, is it authentic? And secondly, is it relevant? People will take authentic from the Qur'an. How can you reject it? But is it relevant? Does it actually justify? Does it actually prove? No, it doesn't always. So you have to see. Because first of all, the dog, it was not sleeping with the Ashab al-Kahf. Where was it? At the entrance of the cave. And what was that dog doing over there? It was a guard dog. Okay? So having a dog as a guard, that's permissible. Where there is a need. But having it as a pet, I mean there are many references from the Quran and Sunnah, that's a different discussion altogether. But the point over here is that the Quran, some people, when they read it, they increase in their wrongdoing. Not because there is a problem with the Qur'an, but because that's what they're seeking. And the main problem is that when the people believe, when a certain person believes that what he is doing is right, and he knows everything, then no matter what evidence is given, no matter what he reads, he doesn't accept it. It doesn't make any sense to him. Because he believes that I am right. And this is worse than an ignorant person. Because an ignorant person, when he will find out, when he will learn, he will accept and change. There is hope. But when a person has knowledge and he thinks, I know everything and I am right, then even when he will find out, he will misinterpret it or he will give some other explanation to it. So the problem is not with the Qur'an, rather the problem is with the person. This is just like if a person is, let's say, diabetic. Then certain foods, which may be Perfectly fine, but if they eat them, what will happen? What will happen? They'll become unwell. But if that same food, if another person eats it and they're not diabetic, then it's not going to bother them at all. If a person is allergic to certain foods and they eat it, it can kill them. And there's another person who's not allergic and he eats that same food, it's not going to bother him at all. In fact, it's going to make him better. So the problem is not with the Qur'an, the problem is... With the people. فَلَا تَأْسَ عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ The Prophet ﷺ is told, so you do not grieve over disbelieving people. Don't feel bad for them. Why? 
Because you have conveyed. You have fulfilled your responsibility. Because when a person is telling others, and then they don't listen, in fact they just become worse, then you feel that you have not done your job correctly. You feel like you have fallen short in your responsibility. So that's how the Prophet ﷺ felt. He really, really wanted the people to believe, to accept, because he wanted to save them from the hellfire. But when he saw that the people weren't accepting, then what would happen? He would feel extremely distressed, which is why we learn in Surah Al-Kahf, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعُ النَّفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ أَثَارِهِمْ إِلَّمْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَسَفَى That perhaps you would kill yourself through grief over them, because these people are not believing. So, the Prophet ﷺ is told that you do not feel bad about them. فَلَا تَأْسَ عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ You have fulfilled your responsibility. It's not your fault if they're not believing. When they will return to us, then we will deal with them.